Peace, everybody. This is Marcus D, and you are listening to Artistry. Welcome to another episode of Artistry, where art meets industry. We are your hosts, Rochelle Etienne Robinson and Stan Substantial Robinson. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Artistry. Today's guest is hip hop producer, musician, Marcus D. Thank you and welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. What it is. What up, Stizzle? <laughs> awesome. So, Marcus, um, the hesitation in my voice for, you know, hip hop artists, I don't want to necessarily limit you to um, primarily just um, producing hip hop music because you also do, um, you've done music for video games, um, you've collaborated with several different artists. Uh, primarily hip hop, but not only solely hip hop. So, how would you? How would you like to be identified? What do you want to be remembered as? Um, that's a great question. I think for me, it doesn't really. It's not a big deal for me uh, what people characterize me as or uh, label me as. I think that as artists or as an artist, it's just my job to do what expresses my emotions and then however it comes out, um, get that on the canvas. And then after that, let people decide where I fit in and where they want to label me. But it's also important to know, you know, where you're coming from and what you're making. Um, Mm -hmm. So I do appreciate the label of hip hop producer um, Mm -hmm. because I think it's it's probably the coolest um, (laughs) one in there, you know, but um, yeah, for me, I think it's more about just um, making the art and then the critics can decide where you fit in. Um, right. But right. as a whole, I would say that I got my start with hip hop music. Yeah. Yeah. You are a classically trained pianist um, with an orchestral background. You've been playing piano for how long? When did you first start playing the piano? I believe I started playing when I was about seven or eight years old eight or nine maybe um yeah my my grandma had a like a very old upright piano um Mm -hmm. and it was something that her grandfather bought for when they were dirt poor um and he wanted his family to somebody to be a musician and possibly you know Mm -hmm. um be an artist so he actually spent his last paycheck it was it was one entire paycheck um and he they my grandma said that they didn't eat you know anything decent that entire month um because he bought the family a piano um and i thought that was really amazing investment because what it did for a generation further down the line for me it literally gave me my entire career and my um start so um that was always a cool story to me because um, my grandma played it when she was younger, but she didn't um, play it to the point where um, it became a career for her or anything like that. But she passed it on to my mom actually just to uh, store it at her at our house, really, mm-hmm. and hoping that me or my brother would play it. And um, through video games, I found uh, inspiration to play the piano and. That's kind of where everything stemmed from was just enjoying the 
the sound of it being inspired by having the piano there. So definitely really appreciate my, my, uh, my grandma for holding on to it and allowing me that opportunity. Right. Well, how many years after receiving the piano, uh, was it before you started actually producing? I think that we received the piano when I was, was probably about, I, I, like, it's one of those memories where you think you remember it coming yeah. to the house, but you can't tell if that's just something you made up in your mind or if it, you know, it was actually a real memory. <laughs> right. Um, but I believe that I remember when they had it moved to our house. I mean, I think I would have been like five or six. Right. Um, and you were playing like two to three years after that. Yeah. Like there was so the, the story that I know um, and that I remember was I was playing um, Final Fantasy 4, which mm-hmm. in the U.S. version is 2. And it was on the Super Nintendo. Um, my brother had a Super Nintendo. And um, I was playing that and I heard this melody for people that know it's called the prelude. It's just the intro. It's like a scale, right? But it's a really cool sounding scale. Um, right. And I heard that and I went downstairs and I figured it out on the piano. And after that, that was kind of the point where my mom was like, all right, I think I need to try and get him into piano lessons. So she talked to my, um, my music teacher at school and asked, um, if he could recommend anybody that would be good for a kid's piano teacher. Um, and that was kind of where it started. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's always kind of the women in my family, you know, uh, before when my grandfather bought it for my grandma and then my grandma gave it to us and then my mom, you know, um, mm-hmm. saved her extra change to put me in piano lessons and have afforded me that, um, luxury of being able to take piano lessons and learn at that level um and of course i didn't appreciate it back then um, right. but i definitely do now and i think that would have been about two years yeah three years after because i was playing in um third fourth fifth grade mm-hmm. and i think i remember just starting in second grade but um yeah there was this kid who was like a amazing like trained to be a concert pianist right um mm-hmm. from a russian family um, russian immigrant family and he was amazing like the way that he played he was playing stuff that i was like oh my god you know like wow. he, he was in like competitions and stuff and he would embarrass me every every time <laughs> like we we're in music class they'd be like oh marcus is taking piano lessons you, you play something and i'd play like Super Mario. <laughs> and this dude would play Chopin or, you know, <laughs> oh, like, oh. <laughs> completely right. blew me up. I was like, man. So I almost quit piano at that point because I, I, was, I was just like, there's no way I could get to that level ever. Right. Um, and it was, yeah, it was kind of like I... I never thought that I would take music in a different form. You know, I always thought that it was either play piano and play in competitions or don't do music. Um, So luckily hip hop taught me that it's 
more about how you flip it, you know, it's less about right. what inspires you and how you create your art. That's really the important thing. And that there's so many different ways to express yourself. That doesn't, you know, I didn't get expression from playing classical piano. I hated classical piano. Mm. I loved jazz and I loved um, video game music. So when I got, um, when I got inspired, when my piano teacher allowed me to play music from video games, that was when I, finally had my own interest in it so right. i think it has to be something that you connect to personally otherwise you'll never be inspired by it um absolutely and then jazz i played jazz band and um played piano and jazz bands all through middle school and high school and yeah jazz ultimately was what led me to keep playing the piano you know shout out again shout out to your mom and and for all the women in your family um who supported you and had the the wherewithal to see that, you know, to to um, observe you wanting to to mimic the video games, and it's like, okay, let's let's hone in on that and see how we can support that. Because I mean, you know, the average person could have been like, oh, that's cool, that's cute, <laughs> and then kept it moving. You know, same thing for your teachers. You know, so kudos to them for seeing that and supporting that. You know, I, I really appreciate my mom for doing that because she, uh, you know, there were other uh, kids and other, you know, families and women in the neighborhood who would be like, is it, or even my grandma, you know, is it good to let them play as many video games as you do? Mm-hmm. But I was learning how to read and I was learning vocabulary words that no other kid knew. You know, I remember... Right writing down the word ominous when I was six years old and wow. asking my mom what ominous meant because it was in one of the video games. And she was like, he's learning, you know, he's learning right. more than he is at school uh, from playing these games. So she just told everybody else to mind their damn business and <laughs> <laughs> let me tell my kid how to, you know. Right. So, That's awesome. Yeah. Now you were born and raised in the suburbs of Seattle, right? Yes. And, you know, you are, you are very much in very good company. I mean, home of Seattle is home of Kurt Cobain, Jimi Hendrix, Quincy Jones lived in, in Seattle, Sir Mix-a-Lot, uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Pearl Jam, and so many, so many others. What is in the water in Seattle? What's going on? That's, it's interesting um, because... Growing up in, uh, so I lived in a town or city about 20 miles outside of Seattle uh, called Auburn. It's a lower class suburb, um, a lot of um, working class folk. And it's uh, going when I, there were certain events in my uh, childhood and my family's history where I was living in Seattle back and forth uh, when I was a kid. Um, so I got acquainted with the city really early. Um, and when I moved there for school, when I was 18, um, I actually got a much deeper connection and insight into Seattle. Um, and I, I think that, you know, we have really deep roots. Um, there's an area called the central district, which is a predominantly black, um, and always has been a predominantly black area. Um, and it's given birth to a lot of amazing um, 
jazz musicians and hip hop artists and creative people of all types. Um, mm. Even Ray Charles, um, you know, was doing a lot of stuff in Seattle uh, when he was coming up too. And um, I think the weather, to be honest, um, has a lot to do with the type of sound and the inspiration uh, because we are all deficient in vitamin D. <laughs> There's mm. 300 days, about 300 days of rain per year. Oh my God. Wow. And uh, maybe not per uh, rain, but like cloudy drizzle rain, at least if one raindrop falls 300 days per year, I would say. Wow. Um, because even in the summer, in July, it's a constant crapshoot whether we're going to be able to be outside for 4th of July. Um, so we can't count on barbecues. We can't count on anything that you can do outside. So it, it's it's never torrential downpours, really, but right. it's constantly gray, constantly cloudy, and it's always a little bit of a drizzle. That's why you hear that people in Seattle don't ever use umbrellas. And it's mm-hmm. it's because you don't really need them because you you get used to the point where you're just used to rain falling on you when you when you walk. Um, so yeah. I I think it, I think a lot of it has to do with um, the culture of Seattle and the history of it. And but I think that the continued um, inspiration and output of artists like that um, is definitely has to do a lot with the weather. Um, because even now that it is more of a gentrified um, tech industry kind of capital bubble in Seattle now, because I went back and didn't, I didn't even recognize where I used to live. Um, right. And that was disappointing. And, you know, I'm sure it's even more disappointing for people who grew up there and are watching their neighborhood turn into something unrecognizable. So to answer the question, I definitely think that it it has to do a lot with the history and um, just having a deep connection to jazz and uh, the roots of jazz, too. I mean, Quincy Jones is, you know, the God. What what can what can you say (laughs) that hasn't already been said? So, um, you know, but there's a lot of really dope artists who continue to perpetuate the innovative innovation um from seattle i mean you think of vitamin d the artist not the not the vitamin but vitamin d is <laughs> right i mean super talented man. Amazing. yeah you know that's uh, somebody i've looked up to my entire career um and he's inspired people from you know touch all ends of the earth um Jake one who has probably mm. produced your favorite track on at least a few people's albums and yeah. probably produced one of your favorite tracks that you don't even know that he produced. Uh, but if you look right. up his credits, he's everywhere. Yeah, um, and he, man. he was, you know, inspired by, by vitamin D too. And, um, John Moore, um, mm-hmm. who was a very, very, um, inspirational human being to a lot of people in Seattle um, Mm -hmm. who uh, passed away a few years ago. Um, Mm -hmm. But he did a lot of things like the Red Bull Big Tune um, and, you know, helped artists grow out of Seattle. So I think it's a very tight-knit community, 
Um, and there's a lot of um, not wanting to let other people into that circle, um, but it's not out of, you know, um, out of hate or deceit or anything like that. It's more because Seattle's very, um, it's just a tight, it's small. Like it's a town, but it's literally um, nicknamed the town because it's so small that when you walk around, you see people that you know, Mm. and there's a chance that somehow you have a connection with somebody that somebody, you know, knows that person too. Um, Yeah. I was going to mention too, man, like when you talk about like the weather having a, um, the weather having an impact on the, the sound and what people create there. Fun fact. I was literally, I want to say it was maybe my second or my third trip to Seattle and we were getting ready to head back home. And that was where I came up with the concept for the song, uh, waiting for the clouds to part. Um, (laughs) It was while I was in Seattle. And the funny thing is, you know, I used to joke with you all the time how as many times as I've been there, even though it's notoriously, you know, it's notorious for being cloudy. Most of the time when I've come, it's been sunny, right? <laughs> with the right. exception of maybe like two, one or two of our tours. But uh, but it's usually sunny when I've gone. So I feel like, you know, Seattle likes me. I don't know what it is. I try to put a little sunshine in my pocket when I show up. <laughs> you know what I mean? To balance yeah, what's happening. The sun, sun definitely comes out for you. Yeah, <laughs> like every every time you're up there, I was like, damn, we're having some amazing weather. And you're like, that's, I mean, it's, it's sunny. <laughs> it's, not, right. it's not like, a, you know, super warm or nothing, but the sun is out. So Yeah. So you're welcome, Seattle. Uh, you know. <laughs> Have yeah. me back soon. I'm sure you could use me and the sun. <laughs> oh my goodness. I tell you, this guy. Um, <laughs> you know, Marcus, you have collaborated with some some hip hop legends. Uh, you have uh, Del the Funky Homo Sapien, Royce the Five Nine, Saigon, Planet Asia, Sky Zoo, Crooked Eye. The list goes on and on. Blue. Blue, um, substantial. Okay. Yeah, I, you know. I guess. <laughs> I guess we. Can, I guess we can include him. Cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, having been relatively young when you 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 first were introduced to the game, you have um, been able to you know catch the ear of some no- notable players. So what would you say, what is your tactic for just reaching out and saying, hey, I'd like to, you know, produce a track for you? Like what, what has been your um, go-to as far as doing that? And, and without also, you know, coming across, I mean, you, you I want to say you don't want to be a stan, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. excuse the pun, <clears throat> hey, but you don't want to hey, be. Hey, <laughs> hey, come on, man. I'm right here. <laughs> I'm right here. Yeah, it, it, I can it, it, hear you. <laughs> really? I'm sad. It's like, I, I get it. It's slang. People use it. But I'm sitting right here. Okay, baby. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, maybe not a stand, but maybe, you know, you want to become across as professional, obviously, but as, at the same time, you know, without being too creepy. So what, what, what is your tactic for, you know, reaching out to um, an artist who you haven't been, um, you haven't worked with before? 
Yeah, so I I do not know the answer to that because it's still <laughs> very much a, like a it's a thin line <laughs> between, right. between being a a fan and then kind of um, not crossing into that tor- territory when you're trying to work with somebody um, and letting them know that you're serious about your artistic endeavor. Um, so I, I, for me, it was always kind of like, I, I prefer to have a connection with somebody that's already um, like an open line. Uh, it's already right. been there right. or have a mutual introduce us uh, because I, I really, I can't get over the, um, I've never been able to get past the, Hey man, like, you know, I'd love it if we could do something and, even though that's a valid way to hit somebody up and especially if your business is right. Cause that's how I originally made contact with Stan. Um, but he's a nice guy, right? A lot of these dudes are not nice guys and they don't really care if you're professional. It's an ego thing. Um, so luckily um, the people that I listen to, has always been some kind of um, not mutual respect, but I guess a I could tell from the way that they rap or the way that they create their art that I they seem like they're the kind of people that I would be able to work with. Um, and that mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm basically talking about um, the collabs on Simply Complex and a couple on Revival of the Fittest because those are the times where I've worked with people who have like the big underground names. Um, And I mean, with Royce, who is my all-time favorite MC, um, Mm -hmm. I grew grew up listening to him, like the original Bad Meets Evil. I think I was eight or nine too when my brother was having me listen to the original Bad Meets Evil, which no eight or nine year old should be doing. Um, <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, so shout out to my brother for getting me an early start on the curse word. <laughs> but, um, you know, Royce was really, really cool um, when I contacted him. And he, I think he actually had just gotten back from um, doing his term for. Uh, DUIs Um, and he was very very open to working and stuff and my brother had actually been in contact with his manager Kino Um, so having that line where somebody had made the initial connection um, it was much easier for me to send him something and then uh, ask for a business opportunity Um, so I think that that collab was really cool because um, after you're done with it, you kind of wonder if, you know, they ever, if they cared about it or if they remember it or if it was just, you know, something they did, you know. Um, And when he came to Seattle to do uh, a show, because I I got a brother on the track too. Like I know, uh, I knew at the time I knew Kid Vicious really well um, and talked to him a bunch on G-Chat and, um, when they came to do a show in Seattle, um, I gave him the vinyl from Simply Complex and uh, 
he was really, really cool, really gracious. Um, nice, nice dude, right? You know, from the stuff, some of the stuff that he raps about, you could wonder about, you know, if he's, whether he's a cocky dude or if he's humble. Um, mm-hmm. But they always say, don't meet your heroes. Or I always say that because I have met a couple people where I just can't listen to their music again after I oh, meet right. them because um, they're just complete assholes. Um, so I was hoping this wouldn't be the case, you know, meeting your, your hero. I was like, you know, I hope that um, this dude is as cool as I think he is. Um, and luckily he was. And it's just strengthened my um, support for his music and the things that he says. Um, so his story is amazing. You know, his yeah. recovery from being an alcoholic and just a lot of the stuff that happened in his life is really inspiring. Um, so being able to talk with him and stuff and then um, being able to personally have that achievement of working with him more than once um, is something that's very important to me. Um, and then other artists too, it's just really just, it's luck, you know, it, it's, if you have the connection, it's always easier, but um, sometimes you just have to cold call them and hit them up and yeah. see if they're willing to do something. But um, I definitely like dealing with people more when it's a, when there's a, a connection. I don't like feeling like I'm that random guy with the, the beats and, hey, want to collab, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, you were like, um, I remember when you first, when you first reached out to me, um, you were very professional. Uh, and that's one of the things I remember most, especially when I, f- uh, when I found out how old you were, um, it was really surprising that like someone who wasn't even 18 years old yet could be so professional. Uh, and like you hadn't put out a record yet. You were working on your debut. Uh, your sound was like top notch, even though you were young, it, it was better than a lot of the people who was hitting me up. And a lot of people reach out like, like, almost like they're doing you a favor. Like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, seriously, a lot of people reach out like, hey, I got these beats, you know, like, I'm sure you need something for your upcoming project. You know, find like nothing but bangers here, boo, 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 where you get the people who like, yeah, I got this style of beat. I think it's perfect for you. You hear it. It sounds nothing like. <laughs> right. It doesn't even sound like quality or it doesn't even sound like it would fit with what you do. And so that's something I think uh, separated you early on because it, it just seemed like you understood the importance of being mindful and being respectful of the people you were contacting um, them in their time, you know? So that's, um, thank you. I just feel like you had that skill set from uh, like from the beginning. I mean, first off, thank you. And I think that, I think for me, it's really, I wish I could be one of those people with that confidence that hits people up like, yo, I got your next joint right here. Like, you know, this is going to be the heater on your next project. And, you know, you can pay me for it and stuff like that. But I guess I just don't. I don't know. It's not, it's not a way that I, I, I work or the way that I could be happy with myself um, and the image right. that I, and the energy that I put out because it's more important to me to come on the humble and, you know, let them know that I don't know if this is something you would like. We're talking about art, you know, this is, yeah. this is music that it's my expression. So if you don't like it, 
that's okay. But for me to just come in guns blazing, like, yo, I know that you're going to love this shit. I don't like setting myself up for failure or disappointment. So it's more of like, if they like it, then cool. Like I'm up, you know, I'm not down. Right. Cause I already thought they might not like it, but the confidence, you know, I really wish I could just hit people up, like, you know, on some really confident cocky stuff. But, uh, cause I think that the, the quality is there, but I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't work that way. Uh, and I think that the people around me, it shows, you know, the people around me are also humble. Uh, yeah. Not only sure. like to be around douchebags. <laughs> yeah. Can't be hitting people up with the, the subject line. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. You know subject line. You're welcome. Nothing but fire in here. B. You know what I'm saying? Make your life better. Here you go. Let me know. <laughs> See, but then, then I do hit people up with like the full, you know, like, uh, professional email, Here's my contacts, yeah. all that stuff, and then you get it. Then you get a one-line reply from one of the rappers, right? Every right. single rapper that I worked with on Simply Complex, uh, whenever I hit them up with a business, uh, when I hit them up, like you know, uh, I'm working on this project, got this beat, got this budget, blah blah blah. They would hit me with the I can do for this, right? You know, like right. it'd be one small line not even like a not even a signing their name at the bottom it was all really like unprofessional like they didn't really even owe me the time to reply you know yeah so at that point it's kind of like all right let's just keep this business because you have a service that i would like and you know you're gonna get paid for this so let's just keep it business if it's like that but then there's some people who are really cool. Um, so I always like finding that out, you know, like Blue, really cool dude. Mm-hmm. I met up with him when he came in J- to Japan um, to perform yeah. after we did the track and he knew who I was and we talked for a minute and went and grabbed food and uh, really nice dude. And uh, I think those are the interactions that I, I live for um, because it's more important to me than just the music is how that person carries himself. You currently reside in, in Japan. You are uh, frequently compared to the late Japanese producer Nujibes. You have been not only um, contributed to, you know, Japanese culture, inspired by Japanese culture, but you actually did your homework. In college, you studied Japanese. You speak Japanese fluently. You currently reside in, in Tokyo. When did you first fall in love with Japanese culture? I honestly don't know, but my mom told me it was when I was pretty young. Um, I, I, it must have been through playing video games because all the video, all the games that I played were all from Japan and all created by Japanese artists and all by Japanese musicians. And I, I mean, what kid doesn't like samurai and ninjas and stuff? You know, um, right. so right. <laughs> I think every kid kind of has that start with Japanese culture, um, mm-hmm. even right. if they don't know it. You know, there's things like Godzilla or, you know, whatever it is, um, or Power Rangers, stuff like that. I, I think we don't realize 
how much stuff gets imported from Japan to the States. Yeah. Uh, culture in general, because, you know, like in my generation coming up in the 90s, every single kid watched Power Rangers and Power Rangers was like the biggest thing. So to have, you know, uh, action figures of Power Rangers or whatever, that was a huge thing. Um, so coming to Japan and saying that like this, you know, quote unquote ranger culture is just part of their culture is kind of crazy because you still see we just had power rangers right and then everything stemmed from there and but in japan it's it's there's tons of ranges there's been ranger tv shows and music since like the 60s 50s 60s 70s um wow so i see a lot of the records and there's a lot of records with rangers on the front and it's usually pretty dope like 70s funk stuff yeah i think that the culture gets imported a lot to the States and um, I don't think we realize that until you actually see it in its um, natural habitat. So right. when were you first introduced to Nujibes? That would have been about 2002 or three, probably 2003, maybe 2002. Um, it was a, my good friend's cousin um, from Daly City, California, um, him and his brother used to come up for the summers. And um, he actually played me some of the stuff that he thought that I would like. And I kind of like he, he mentioned that it had like a Japanese style to the hip uh, to hip hop. And at that time, I wasn't really um, I hadn't been introduced to Japanese hip hop. But he said, if you like Final Fantasy, you like video games and things like that, then um, I'm sure you'll like this stuff. So he played some of it, and I was like, wow, this is really dope. So I ended up going and downloading everything of his name. And then um, I had it on my iPod, and I eventually saw, like, uh, from or one of the under the album, the scrolling on the iPod, it said, uh, Samurai Shampoo OST. And I was like, oh, I wonder what that is. So, um, I went and went to TV.com at that time. Um, they still had like a couple episodes of like everything on TV.com. Uh, <laughs> and I typed in Samurai Shampoo and I found the Beatbox Bandits episode. And uh, Class. yeah, it's a wrap from there. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been listening to, you know, I, I had, I think it was Metaphor for Music that he put out in 2003. Um, so, mm-hmm. I've been listening to that first, and then right mm-hmm. after that, I listened to to this union, um, which is when I got more acquainted with Stan's work. Um, and then right after that, I saw him featured on MySpace on the front page. Yeah. So that was when I hit him up um, about our track because I was like, "Oh, he's like he, he's still active, you know? Like it's not he's he's still doing um, his own stuff." And that was when you put out. Um, it's you you were doing sacrifice the promotion yeah. for sacrifice um and then when i heard it's you I, I was like oh damn like this is i love this too you know so like mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of stuff that i like it's not just the uh, stuff with nujibas so um, i was like this is the kind of stuff i've been listening to before i ever knew who nujibas was or before i knew anything about japanese hip-hop um, it was more of that really dope um, underground hip hop with some melody to it and mm-hmm. good lyrics and 
good themes and sound like a good dude was rapping over it. So uh, that was why I decided appreciate to hit stand up. Right. Appreciate it, man. How does that feel like um, for someone that you you grew up listening to to several years later being now compared to Nujibus? I think I've gone through phases, to be honest. Um, there was a point where that was my main thing that I was chasing was to be anything that could be close to being compared to what he was. Um, and I think that was like the, you know, the prototype for what I wanted to be. And then I started getting closer to the people around him and then making music like his stuff. And then when I'd make a beat, it would come out and I'd be like, wow, this sounds like something that Nujabez would make. Um, you know, granted, probably not at that level at that time, but um, it was... It sounded like him nonetheless. So that's something for me as a younger dude, I was like, you know, this is doable. Uh, and I think that I chased that for a long time. And as soon as it started becoming real, when I was in Japan and um, Shingo asked me to DJ for him at the tribute and everything, and then realizing that I was becoming part of that kind of family that there is. It was kind of surreal, but I think that now, right, I, a couple of years ago, I started getting to that phase where I was like, I don't want to be compared to him anymore because we're obviously two very different people. And, you know, I'm, I'm not one dimensional. Uh, there's a lot of other stuff that I do that doesn't sound like him. And I want to be recognized right. for just being me instead of um, doing stuff that sounds like him. And right. um, yeah, yeah, I think that everybody starts out with copying somebody um, that they want to sound like. I mean, what producer didn't copy DJ Premier, Pete Rock, or Large Professor back in the day? So it's, right. you start with that and then everything, it's kind of like your filter, right? So the stuff that I listen to is different than what Nujibuz listened to. And the way that he would flip the stuff that he listens to is different than how I would flip it. Right. So we all have our biases in the way that we filter things out and then spit it back out um it's going to be different so i think that we all naturally defer in that sense mm -hmm. so um then, yeah now i'm at that phase where i'm <clears throat> comfortable with um my roots of where i've come from and accepting that there are always going to be people that compare me to him Right. But then also being comfortable in the fact that I'm inherently different and I have my own style. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, and you kind of said it already. I think that's a I think that's a place where most artists start. Um, you know, you you have your your influences or the, the person you're learning directly under. Uh, you pick up these different uh, like these, you know, like little things that kind of help you find your own style. But in the meantime, their influence is very apparent. And then as you grow, your sound starts to develop. You start to find your own voice over time. Uh, but I think that's key for a lot of upcoming artists, like, you know, understanding that, you know, the journey is going to take you a lot of different places, but the ultimate goal is to find your voice, uh, you know, and not let the, the influence kind of overpower what it is you're setting out to do. And, um, and that's something that like, even in your early stuff, uh, pro you know, which like you said, you know, um, there has been a lot of comparisons over the years to Nujibus, but, 
Um, and I know early when I heard your stuff, you know, there were elements in there that uh, reminded me of certain things um, from the time I worked with him. But there were other elements to your production, um, you know, from the uh, percussion, how you mix drums versus <laughs> like how they sounded um, when I worked with Jun. And so there, it was just um, like it just hit in a different way. And I like I could hear the potential early on because I'm like, man, this, this kid's not even in his 20s yet. And it's like and the, the potential was just kind of, you know, just oozing through. And, you know, it's just amazing to see where your journey has led you, man, and like how far you've come, um, knowing what your passions are, knowing how much you love like gaming, knowing how much you love anime. And now to see you like having your music featured uh, in anime and uh, you being asked to remake music from like uh, legendary filmmakers in the anime world. So like, you know, I like to know more about that experience, actually, uh, mm. when you were uh, when you were asked to do that project recently. Like, yeah. so can you tell us how that came about? Yeah. So um, the legendary filmmaker that Stan is talking about is uh, Hayao Miyazaki. Um, he was, the goat. He was, yeah, the goat famous for those that don't know if you've been living under a rock um <laughs> house moving castle um, spirited away princess mononoke kiki's delivery service uh, you know all those um <clears throat> asuka uh, which is one of my favorites um, yeah so i was um Contact. I wasn't contacted. I had a friend who was a mutual connection. Um, shout out to Zane, who's a very dope dude all around. Coolest Japanese like, guy you might ever meet in your life. I was about to say, man, he's like he's like a he's a young Japanese Dosekis man. Yeah, <laughs> yep. He, yep. he's not quite there yet. You know what I mean? Got to get the full like salt and pepper white beard happening. You know what I mean? And then he'll be there. But uh, but he's on his way. Shout out to Zane, coolest guy I've ever met in Japan. Super cool dude. Um, so Zane's um, wife was really good friends with somebody who was working at a label that was working on a remix project uh, with Ghibli, Studio Ghibli. Um, mm. And shout out to people who call it, still call it Ghibli, even though it's <laughs> Ghibli. Um, but, <laughs> um, so they were working on a remix project for Studio Ghibli and um, they needed producers um, who could replay certain things because they had the... Um, they had the had the intellectual rights, but not the mechanical rights to the samples um, mm. and to the music. Um, so they couldn't actually sample from the audio directly. They couldn't use the audio files from the movies, right. and the films. Um, so they needed people to interpolate. Actually, not even interpolate because they wanted it pretty much exactly the same. Uh, they didn't want it changed. Um, mm -hmm. We couldn't take away things from the melodies or, you know, do too much crazy stuff with it. Um, but it was connected through um, Zane's Connect. And then the label asked me um, to do a track and we were negotiating things about it. And um, I said, I could do a track for this, this, this. 
And they said, well, actually, why don't we meet up instead? Um, so I went to meet with them at their office. Um, the label's called Farm. Um, so I went to Shibuya. I met up with them. And in the meeting, they said that they were interested in me doing a track. And, uh, you know, we hashed out more details. And they said, well, actually, uh, you know, if you could do this for this amount, then you know, we'd be happy. And I said, wait, so you want me to basically executive produce this whole thing? And they say, yeah, we'd like you to do seven to eight tracks out of the 15. <laughs> and I was Crazy. like, all right. So um, wow. it's like, wow. yeah, I could do that. Um, and I was working with, it was going to be one other producer um, named Every Day is a Good Day, I think. Yeah, so basically we just picked the tracks that we wanted to do, and I picked all the ones that I was, you know, the movies that I was in love with and the songs that I really, really, really liked. Um, and then got to work and basically replayed everything, replayed the piano parts, um, had Seb Zillner and Jerson Zaragoza, who are genius musicians Seb yeah. plays flute and woodwinds he played the duduk on one of the tracks he played flute on another one he played saxophone on another one great um and then jerson played bass and guitar on both on all the tracks um and then substantial did some co-production with me on one of the tracks um, hey that was that i guess was that guy's dope. all right <laughs> um and yeah, we just, I mean, it was like a two month project that literally every day I was like, I, I have work. So when people would hit me up to do things or if they needed, um, you know, wanted me to do stuff, uh, it was one of those times where I, a few times where I could say, sorry, I got to work today. Because um, most of the time I can get away with doing stuff on my phone or whatever. Uh, but this was stuff where I actually had to wake up every day and have like a set schedule and sat down and created every day uh, so it was really really fun project and i'm grateful to farm for allow them allowing me to work on the project and um i actually had um there were two tracks that i passed off to um my good friend nitsua who mm. did um he did one track from i forgot the name it's uh mina I don't remember. No, it was, I think there's one with pigs in it. Um, but all of Miyazaki's stuff is really dope. And yeah, I'm very grateful to have been able to work on that project. So um. That is awesome. I mean, you have you primarily worked for yourself, correct? Like you haven't had a quote unquote job besides doing music. Never. Well, actually, I, I lied. When I was in high school, I had a job. But. Right, but since you know, since since graduating college, count. right? <laughs> actually, it's funny because when I was in the, I think I was a junior in high school, I, I quit my job because I sold a beat. I sold a beat for like <laughs> I was getting a paycheck right every two weeks or so, and I was like, man, it's same shit. And then I, I sold a I sold a beat for like 250, 300 bucks to a rapper in Seattle. And I got like the the, ch the cash all in one go. And right. I think I was 17 and I was like, yo, I just made 300 bucks in one day off a of beat I made. And I was My like- My mom made it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I called, um, 
I called in the next week and I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to come in tomorrow because I had a conflicting thing. And she was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just schedule you for the next shift. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to make that one either. Right. <laughs> and she, she said, oh, well, then what are we going to do? And I said, honestly, I don't think I'm going to be able to come back in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Because she was like, we were planning on moving you to a manager's position and in the future. And I was like, yeah, I don't expect to be there that long. So, right. (laughs) It's like a Harlem Nights with the guy uh, when he fell in love with Sunshine. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, hey, sweetie, put your mother on the phone. (laughs) Hey, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm never coming home. (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I'm never coming home. Yeah, I sold I'm this beat. I'm, I'm, I'm never I'm not coming back. Work that day. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. Uh, but I mean, yeah. that's that that's. I mean, that's a testament to your work ethic and 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 your talent. You've only worked for yourself, or primarily have worked freelance. You've received awards like uh, the Red Bull Big Tune Champion. You have, um, I've, as you mentioned earlier, have had these great collaborations and. Um, opportunities what does success look like for you now so i it's funny because i do have this vision in my mind i don't know if it's success as like as far as career wise or if it's life or if they intersect in some way which i'm sure they do um but for me i just want a i want a house with a studio in it Mm -hmm. that i can make um i mean i have a small version of it right now but um you know, I want I want lots of vintage synthesizers. I want to have a piano, like an upright piano. Actually, the piano that my grandmother left me when she passed, um, the one that I grew up learning on, um, is sitting in a storage unit in my hometown. Um, and I'd really like to, you know, be able to put that somewhere um, mm-hmm. and right. make a studio with everything and be able to get the tools that I need to fully get the ideas from my head onto paper. Um, right. And I think that that's kind of what success looks like to me is just being able to live off of music and make the stuff that I, that inspires me uh, every day, which, you know, I'm already doing that in some way, but I think that if you feel like you've already seen some type of success, then you slow down and I just really don't have any intention of slowing down. So I have to keep updating goals, you know, which is, uh, it's good. But uh, I think, yeah, I think that success is really subjective. So for me, I, yeah, I I just don't think I, I think the the beginner's mind as far as um, thinking that you've attained nothing, and acting like you've attained nothing so that you can always keep yourself open to learning and continuing to grow is the most valuable thing that you can think of. Because there's times where I find myself thinking that I, feeling like I've attained something. And I think getting caught up on that just, you know, um, eventually slows you down and ultimately stunts your growth and your possibilities. Good answer, Maurice. Good answer. Yeah, success is I, I don't know I, some people see I, like I would I look at people and I'm like they have success that's the success I want 
but to them it looks like something else and it's somebody else and i think that it's different for everybody but i don't think you should look to other people for what success looks like it should be mm. defined by what makes you feel like you've contributed um, to society or to the scene that you are in or the people around you or um, anything that you know, brings everybody higher and elevates everybody else around you. It's funny that you said that because I was gonna, I was gonna ask one thing, but it, it, um, you triggered something when you said um, because it's true, success looks different to everybody, and it changes. It's not just something that is um, stationary. You know, once you achieve one goal, then now there's another goal or there's another dream. Um, as when we think of legacy, what is it that you would like? to be remembered for as far as your contribution to the culture? I think ultimately, if I could, I would like the people to see me as somebody who was a dope musician, but also like a nice and dope person above all that. Because when I first met um, Stan and a lot of other people who collaborated with Nujibas, I was always kind of, you know, they were my heroes and stuff when I was growing up. So I was kind of, like I said, worried about meeting them and if they would live up to my image of them. Um, And I realized that all of them are extremely dope people first and then dope musicians second. And it's it's something that has rang true for everybody that I've met that worked with him. And I think that that's a, his legacy and his tribute to the, you know, the people that he worked with and the vision that he had and the kind of person that he was. Um, so the people around him were good people and the people around him care about other people and they lift other people up. And I want that to be similar to the way that I, you know, leave my legacy. And I also want people to sample my music. You know, I want to live through music forever um, because it's obviously we can't do that ourselves. So, yeah. Last question before we go, Um, you know, the current state of the world, obviously this year uh, has been uh, an interesting one, to say the least. How important are the arts, music, like how important are these things now, considering the times that we're living in? How important are they to you? I think they're the utmost importance because ultimately they're time capsules, you know, because like if people look back on certain time periods and understand what was happening at the time through art. And I think that it's an unbiased way a lot of times or the most unbiased way as opposed to corrupt media um, outlets and other people that are you know, spreading lies and um, have agendas. You know, I think that artists are the people that can tell what's actually happening and what they're seeing. They're reporters for their um, area and their scene and the people around them. And I think it's important to speak out about injustices and um, ultimately try and fix the problems or fix the mistakes of people before us so that we can continue to grow and hopefully make things better than we left it. Um, And I think that art 
is a way that we can see what was happening and um, document what's happening. And um, overall, I think that it empowers people. For me, it gives me a purpose, you know? Um, yeah, for me, it's just, it's, you can't be silent, you know, about what's happening. And um, I think that it's just extremely important to make people aware, you know, of what's going on. And, you know, it's like, love black people the way you love black culture and black music. And everybody can do a better job of showing that. And I think that it's, it's time, you know, it's been time. Wow. But right now we have a movement and if you're not pushing it forward, then you're ultimately holding it back. Absolutely. Brother, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much, Marcus. Yeah, this is a pleasure. Being on the show. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to Artistry, where art meets industry. This podcast has been brought to you by Substantial Art and Music. For more information, please visit www.subartmusic.com. You can also follow us on social media at Subart Music. We'll see you soon, but talk to you soon. Peace. <laughs>